Oh, welcome back to a beautiful, beautiful, sunny day. <laughs> sunny night time. Yeah. 10 o'clock p.m. in beautiful rural coastal Oregon. Yes. And if the government's listening, we don't live in Oregon. We live in New Mexico. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> well, we're here this evening with our good friend Dominic Elamirian. You might remember Tommy Starchild from our last episode. And this is the famous teacher of Tommy Starchild in the oh. fairy tradition. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> We had the Luke Skywalker, now we have the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. <laughs> At <laughs> least I'm not a Yoda. <laughs> oh. And tonight we're drinking a wine we bought for Tommy and never drank. So Tom, sorry, Tommy. Tommy, if you're Ha-ha, listening. Tommy. <laughs> Dominic's going to drink your wine. <laughs> this is called Chocolate Shop, which is red wine with rich natural chocolate flavor. Woohoo! And it's experience the pure decadence of smooth, rich wine blended with velvety chocolate essence. Basically, we're gonna live deliciously right now. With yes, this yay! Wine. <laughs> Talking about more witchcraft, more Mormonism, more yeah. more Southern Baptism than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about more things than you could shake sticks at? I'm not shaking my stick at anything. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see. We got it open. Oh, I should have poured this beforehand. So, you you start the questioning, Tim. What do you want to ask? I I want to start with your... uh, I'm, like, really fascinated to hear about your transition from... LDS to where you are now. So maybe we could start with how you got into LDS in the first first place. Well, in the 60s, I took a lot of LDS. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, really good. We haven't drunk the wine yet, by so, the way, everybody. So, sorry listening. for the Star Trek reference. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, so I was raised... A poor southern black child. <laughs> the jerk. No, he has none of those things, actually. <laughs> well, Tommy got to be a coal miner's daughter. Yeah, he's a coal miner's daughter. Ooh, I taste the chocolate in this. Mm. This is really good. Oh my god. Ah, Tommy. Wow. This is really I'm so sorry, Tommy. This I'm is really decadent. Sorry this, this is very decadent. This is that was the right delicious. word. So so my family um as far as back as I can figure out, uh, we're Southern Baptists. And my, my mom and dad are both from Texas, and I was actually born there, but we moved to California uh, when I was 11 months old. And what I generally tell people is that I you know, suddenly looked up at 11 months old and said, this isn't California, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved, out, we moved out to California, and so long, as far back as I can remember, my mother always sent us to church. Sent me to church, and then after my sister was born and a little older, she sent her to church with me. And uh, they never went. And what mom said was that they had embarrassed her uh, too much when she was uh, when she first tried to go. Mom's really shy, and they kept wanting her to stand up and say her name. And after after like the second or third time, she'd had enough of that and never went back. And which kind of church was that? This was this. 
Southern Baptist-ish? I'm not sure. Which is the closest Baptist church that we went that, that, mm-hmm. to our house. It was close enough that I could walk to it, and it was right by the, the elementary school that I went to. And then we moved to a town called Milpitas. I, li- I lived near Milpitas. Wow. Up. Yeah, yeah I, I, well, I grew, pretty much grew up in Milpitas, and... Uh, there was there were two different Baptist churches. I went there, and neither one of them were interesting in the least. Um, and when I was turning fifteen, my mother decided to get us away from. Uh, in her mind, uh, we were suddenly vulnerable to drugs and gangs, so she moved us up to rural Washington, and we lived on a farm, and it was a lot of fun, and it was also very lonely. But you know something? While there were no gangs, there were more drugs there than I'd ever seen. That is a true fact about rural women. <laughs> There's nothing to do. So nothing to do but to get do. high. Yeah. And uh, so the kid in my biology class, sitting next to me in my biology class, he was on acid every day until one day he just wasn't there anymore. Oh my God. And we didn't know what happened to him. And three months later, he shows up again. And I looked at him and said, well, where have you been? And he goes... What do you mean? I said, well, I haven't seen you in three months. He goes, I was here yesterday. What? And the teacher goes, you haven't been here in three months. He goes, Holy shit. He goes, where have I been? <laughs> uh, that's really wow. scary. I think your friend had a, a little bit of a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. so from there, we, went, we moved from one side of, of Polsbo to the other side of Polsbo. Still out in the middle of nowhere, but just the other, end of, the other side of the town. And that put me in a different high school, and the people we bought the house from invited me to come to their church when she found out that I was that we were Baptists. And this was okay, so it's called Regular Baptist. It's the Regular Baptist Convention, and Regular Baptists are basically two steps from Amish. You have the Amish, and then the Mennonites, and then the Regular Baptists. So. I, I always look at that and go, oh my God, I was two steps from a really bad beard and no fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> and they were crazy strict. They didn't believe in doing anything but reading the Bible and going to church. And I, uh, so when, when the movie Star Wars came out, I went and saw it and I got, I was nearly thrown out for going to see Star Wars. Wow. It was yeah. that intense. Yeah, because movies were of the devil. And no movies, no books. So nothing. my Baptist preacher every Sunday every Sunday morning. <laughs> Sorry. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every Thursday after Thursday evening, got up and and badmouthed every other church that you could think of. But he really baptized bad uh, badmouthed the Mormons. And my next door neighbor, Sounds I mean, like across the, 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 the people who lived across the pasture from us, because remember, it's rural, um, they were marginally Mormon. So I went over to them and I said, so what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, my Baptist preacher spends a lot of time bad-mouthing the Mormons. What's wrong with your church? And she goes, what do you mean what's wrong with us? I said... Okay, well, let me rephrase this. What do you guys believe in? She goes, okay, I'm not actually, I don't know enough about what they believe, what we believe, what the church teaches, but we have these guys who their job is to teach and answer questions. So they, uh, she, she set up a meeting with me and, and the missionaries, 
And they started talking, and they taught and taught and taught, and um, they had answers for questions that I had that my Baptist preacher would give me a hard time for asking questions. They'd actually thought of answers. The Baptists didn't have any answers. Mm. They just wanted you to have faith in what, whatever, whatever nonsense was coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up joining the Mormon Church. And within uh, two years of that, I went off as a missionary to South America, and I was there for two years. And uh, the whole time I was there, I was having, I was dealing really, really quietly with uh, my own questioning my sexuality. And so I got the end of my mission, came home. I baptized about 75 people. Um, I was really, as far as I could tell, really well loved by everybody that I, everywhere I went, everywhere they sent me, they just, people were like, oh, he's the best thing there is. So you were really good. At I was being good a at missionary. it, and and it wasn't just you know the thing was is that so my bishop before I left uh, asked me, do you want to be a good missionary? And I thought, no, I want to be crap, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, of course I do. And he says, all right, start praying now that you will love the people when you meet them. Set it up. Start starting now do that and it was like you know six months before I went away and so I did that and um, one of the one of the places I was at uh, the mom of this kid one kid in in our in our branch uh, told me she says you know my son came in after a class that you taught and he sat and and went on and on and on about how he felt that you really cared about us he goes, you, he goes, he really loves us. I can tell. He, he, you can tell when, when he talks. And I sat there going, oh, my God, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you might have just happened to be a nice person. Well, like maybe that has something to do with and I really, I, by, that, by that point, I really did love them. Mm. And I had no interest in coming home. My, uh, so the, the church changed its policy while I was there on the length of the mission and they cut it down to 18 months. I was there supposed to be there for two years. And I was at the point where I could choose which to go home now or to stay the full two years. And I said, well, I was actually trying to figure out how I could stay longer. He goes, don't you want to go home? I said, no, I have nothing to go home to. I'm loving this. Because your parents as Baptists must have really not... Oh, being yeah. very excited about the fact that you no. had joined LDS. Well, my so okay, so my mother was marginally Baptist. She was raised that way, but and she believes, but she doesn't go to church. She doesn't, you know, doesn't practice anything. Mom's a good person. That's basically the, as mm-hmm. far as it goes. My dad, uh, pretty much an atheist, so he he wasn't a Baptist. Um, dad hated the fact that I was I had joined the Mormon Church because he hates churches. Period. And he thought that the Mormons were really awful people, mm-hmm. not without knowing hardly any of them. Um, he just kind of grew up on some propaganda that they taught in Texas, mm. and um, believed that. And I said, you know, they lied about you, lied to you about so many other things. Why do you believe this? He says, well, but the, they're bad mouthing these people, so I got to believe that. <laughs> so you know, it wasn't ever rational. Um, what it part probably what it was was that I didn't look up to him. I looked up to other people, and that really upset him. 
Mm. And, uh, well, you know, he was a horrible drunk. I wasn't going to look up to him. Jeez. So, anyway, I, you know, I got through my mission. It was, it was a wonderful experience. I came home and I cried for days uh, because I just wanted to be there. Mm. And... Uh, but now, now I'm home, and I don't have the incredible constraints that I had on me as a missionary, and I have to start dealing with the fact that I'm, you know, I'm gay, and I didn't want to admit it to myself even. And finally, it was it was in the middle of a math class one day, and I was just complaining to myself because I was, and it was basic math. I don't do math very well, uh, and I was hating the class. Not the teacher. The teacher was great. But, you know, I was just hating the whole concept of math. <laughs> and, um, and I said, and, and, my, and my dad teaches, treats me like crap, and everybody at church is, you know, I, I, I have no friends in church anymore, and, and they, they, they never call me when they're doing anything, and, 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 and it doesn't help that I'm gay, too. It's making a... Yeah. Uh-oh. It's fine. And that was like your first time that you had kind of consciously... I actually said it to myself. Said that. Not out loud, but said it... To, it may have well been out loud. Uh, so I slammed my books into my backpack and stormed out of the class. The teacher goes, is that something I said? I said, oh, no, no, I'll be back. <laughs> I'm having problems at home. And I was actually... I jumped on... I, I rode a motorcycle at the time. And I jumped on the motorcycle, and I was going to go home, pack my clothes, and leave. And I didn't know where I was going. I was just, I, I had to leave. And I got, the, I got almost home, and I realized, no, you know, I should go talk to my friend Jeff. Because Jeff came out of the closet while I was on my mission. And he came from a, a Mormon family. They, they were three, three generations back. They were polygamists. So they were, like, extremely really, Mormon. Yeah, their family was very Mormon. Um, and so I went home, I went, went over to Jeff's house, and uh, Jeff's family always treated me as if I was a member of the family. So and they I, hadn't disowned him, obviously. Oh, no, they didn't like disown him at all. In fact, they, they loved him and treated him just as well as they would have treated him normally. Uh, he had problems with them, and it was basically, he was constantly, constantly pushing everybody away because he didn't want to have to deal with the church and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he hadn't... For the longest time, he hadn't told me that he was gay, and uh, which was kind of a problem because I, I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. I had actually dreamed about it while I was a missionary, and um, so I, you know, at one point I asked his his uh, sister point blank, and she burst into tears and admitted it to me and uh, said, "Please don't tell him I told you." And I said, "No, no, 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 it's okay. I already knew. That's why I asked you." Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted confirmation. And so she was, what are you going to do? And I said, what do you mean? What, am, what do you mean I, am I going to do? She was, you're, you're not going to stop talking to him. I said, absolutely not. He's my best friend. Mm. I don't care who he sleeps with. And so, and that's what I had, ended up having to tell him too. So anyway, I talked with him and uh, I thought, well, I can just control it, right? And then I met somebody that I really, that I was really attracted to and and then I thought I could just control it, right? And one day I was sitting in church, and the bishop's son was giving a talk, and he was adorable. And I, you know, he was—I think he was leaving on his mission at the time, and it was always his last talk before he left. And I thought to myself, "Gosh, he's cute. I wonder what he looks like naked." 
<laughs> I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and I left and I, I never went back. I didn't go back for two years. Uh, and they didn't notice I was gone. Wow. That really hurt my feelings. Um, because, you know, it's like I had been a Sunday school teacher. I, you know, was friendly with everybody in the ward and uh, been a missionary for, you know, out of that ward and the whole bit. And I walked away and then no one, no one even noticed. Wow. It was pretty heartbreaking in a way. But at the same time, it was a good, uh, good thing because I didn't have anybody bothering me. There was no one coming to the house trying to convince me to come back. Right, you can nope. kind of disappear. I into, just vanished into a not anonymity. Yeah. And what am I yeah. anonymity? Anonymity, yes. So, so let, me, let me back something up okay. really quick. So there's one part that you've told me about this before that I'm curious to know where these cogs fit together. So re- rewind back to before you joined LDS. So mm-hmm. tell me about the book. That you got from the library when oh. you were when you were uh, a kid, so, and where that fit into the timeline. So here I am. I go to the Baptist church right on Sunday and Thursday night. But at the same time, uh, when I was fourteen, going on fifteen, just before we moved away, um, I was oh, I went over to a friend's house, and um, his room was an absolute. Disaster! I had never seen a room that messy. Coming from my my mother's kind of a clean freak, so so everybody's room had to be clean. And I look down, and there's this book, and I pick it up, and I open it up, and I start reading aloud, and it's an invocation to uh, it's a necromancy invocation to the dead. Mm -hmm. And I start I started reading out loud, and the rooms like vibrated weird. Mm-hmm. And he, go, he grabbed the book and closed it. He said, that's enough of that. I said, what was that? And he goes, it's about, it's magic, not stage magic, real magic. And I went, ooh, tell me more. <laughs> so he gave me a list of books to, to try and find. It's really, this was like 1976. So these types of books so were not easy very, to Very, very few books out at the time. And, but he gave me a list of books that I should look for. And so we get up to Washington State, and I walked into the the school library. And I'm just kind of wandering around, and I found the occult uh, section, which is usually mostly, you know, books on, a couple books on astrology and some, you know, so ESP things. Numerology. Yeah, and, and a book called Mastering Witchcraft by a guy named Paul Hewson. And I went, what's this? And I opened it up and I started reading. And I closed it, I walked over and checked it out. I took it home. And I was a little late bringing it back. So I was asking the, the librarian, well, what do I owe you for, for a fine? And she took the book, looked at it, opened it up, closed it and said, did you like this book? And I said, I said yeah. And she goes, good, it's yours, take it away. Stamped it, <laughs> stamped it missing. And never said another word about it. Interesting. Uh, they, she did not want that book in her library and didn't realize it was there. So Paul Hewson, mm-hmm. Paul Hewson's, uh, was, uh, as I understand it, he was Gardnerian, which is a particular tra- tradition of, of witchcraft. And this book is, while it's not actually Gardnerian uh, witchcraft, it's uh, based on the idea. Mm-hmm. 
Um, There's a bunch of other things thrown into it. So the first thing he has you do is you have to read out loud. You have to read the Lord's Prayer backwards. I remember that was very controversial. It was hysterical to me because the Lord's Prayer was not part of my religious experience. It didn't mean anything to me. It's just a thing in the Bible. And and Paul Hewson, <clears throat> if, if I recall, like his his reasoning for you to do that in that book is just to sort of show you that you're not going to be hit by a bolt of lightning. Right. If you do I mean, this it's, it's also it's also so a lot of mm. people who come come to witchcraft nowadays they they come with a whole lot of Christian baggage, mm-hmm. and this was kind of to jar them out of it. Right. It didn't do anything for me yeah, <laughs> because you had no attachment. To yeah, the Lord's not prayer. at all. Anyway, um, so I I started you know. Making things that are talked about in the book. I, mean, I started making tools. Um, I started uh, trying rituals and things like that. It was kind of it was it was cool. Weird things happened, mm-hmm. um, and um, of all the books that I now recommend to people to read, I recommend that one. And it's it's really kind of an awful book in a lot of ways. Not for. But it's also got some incredible gems in it. Yeah, I agree. There's a great, there are great visualizations. Uh, there is great exper- uh, discussion about particular deities and an amazing recipe sections. Yeah. All, all the way through it, amazing re- recipe sections. So there's some of the things that, workings that I, I, I looked at and I said, yeah, I would never do this as, as part of witchcraft. I might do it as part of ceremonial magic, but not part of witchcraft. Right, and we're, we'll get to ceremonial yeah. magic. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, um, so, so. So you have yeah, this book. I have this book, and, and then I started with it. correcting, collecting a whole bunch of more. Uh, the problem was is that I bought, uh, I, I I read in one book that in order to control demons and or 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 cast demons out, you needed a, a thing called asafetida, or asafetida, as some people say it. And so I bought this little bitty thing about the size of like a half dollar or something like that. And it stinks little, to high heaven. And it stinks to high heaven. And I accidentally opened it. <laughs> and I closed it up really good. But it was kept in the box that I kept all my books and everything else. So all those books were uh, permeated with that smell. With, with stinky Aspedita. So there no demons in there. So. Oh yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Demons, yeah, well, yeah, demons yeah, cast out all it. the demons. Yep. Because not even demons want to smell that. Mm. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and apparently, you're supposed to burn it. I never tried that. Oh hell Ooh. no! That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> but so you collected all these books, and and so you were kind of dipping your toe into yeah once into but, that. But once I actually joined the Mormon Church, I just set it all aside. And what that's what I'm a little bit curious to know. So you were had this interest. But you were still sort of nominally sort of Christian because it was what you were familiar with. Well, and then the LDS drew you in because they were more oh man they, accepting yeah. and embracing. And then your then your past they, experience. They gave me one of the things that the church, the, the Mormon Church, gave me was family. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I came in through a family in the church. Uh, when when I actually became really active in it was well, I was a uh, senior in high school and um, we were doing a play in the drama department and there was this one girl that we hung out with named Crystal and Crystal's mom was helping do all the costumes and I found out that they were Mormon and as immediately as like I was interested but I did I wasn't sure I wanted to get real involved yet 
I, I knew that I, it was uh, going to be really hard to get it really involved because my dad was so anti-everything. Um, and I didn't, I, I didn't want more trouble at home than I already had. Um, I actually asked my dad years later, he, he said, I, I said something about, you know, I always considered myself sort of a Calvin without a Hobbes. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, no, you were a good kid. I never had to, I, I never had to bail you out. I never had to, to, you were never in trouble with school and blah, blah, blah. And I said, then why did you treat me like such a criminal? He goes, hmm, I don't know. And that was the end of that. Hmm. Found hmm. out, I found out, this is sort of a side, I found out after he passed away, his best friend from high school wrote us all a letter. And in it, talked about what my dad was like when he was in high school. My dad was a criminal. Oh, <laughs> he so... was stealing credit cards. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was terrible. And, and I just like, oh, so that's why he thought he was always screaming at me. To not become a criminal. Because he had, he was actually the yeah. one with the problem, and he was, like, projecting it all on you, it sounds mm-hmm. like. So you dabbled... So then you when you entered LDS, you said you set the witchcraft stuff aside. And so was there ever a point in your mind where you ever considered, like, what you had been dabbling in as, like, evil or sinful? Or was no. it more of, like, no. I'm just going to set this back here because now I'm going to focus on it was, this? It was uncompat- incompatible with the, ch- the church teaching. Right. Uh, I never looked at it as evil. Was that, just... was, that was the one, the, the one thing about it. Like, so I never personally thought that homosexuality was evil or wrong. I didn't think that, you know, I couldn't buy the idea that masturbation was a bad thing or the, all, the, all the things that most of Christianity teaches against. I, I looked at that and said, yeah, that's bullshit. That's just politics that people want to play and control, and I don't, I don't buy it. I liked the church for a lot of the... There's a lot of beautiful stuff in the church. And a lot of effective stuff, because you yeah. told me that you had some very interesting experiences with yeah. some of some um, of the things you so did as a missionary. When you when you before you go leave before you leave on your mission, they you get ordained an elder. Uh, elder is not a it has nothing to do with your age, it's a grade of priesthood. There are two priesthoods in the Mormon church. The lesser priesthood um, takes care of, you know, Consecrating and di- distributing the sacrament at church, and also you know helps with the the the, the home visiting. Um, the greater priesthood uh, has, for lack of a better explanation, they have magical powers. Mm. Uh, one of the things that the greater priesthood does is uh, they can uh, give a a healing blessing. And I experienced it personally, and I've done it uh, and watched somebody be healed right in front of my eyes. It was kind of amazing. I had, we, had a, we had a lady, we went to visit her, and she, we knocked on the door, and we knocked on the door, and she finally came to the door, and she was, like, not really there. And was this in, in South in Chi- America? Yeah, down in Chile, in a town called Cañete. And, no, it was in Coronilawe, my first town, because I could barely speak Spanish. And my companion, I, I looked at looked at her, and she was like, really, she she kept moving funny, and it was it was actually her heart was acting up, mm. and she wasn't present. I mean, you could talk to her, and she might respond, but it, the the response didn't really mean didn't didn't make a lot of sense. Um, I think she was having you know some sort of heart episode. And I turned to my companion and I said, we need to give her a blessing. 
And he says, okay, let's do that. And he asked, asked her, may we give you a blessing? And after a couple of minutes, she finally said yes. And, but the thing is, is you have to, you, you have to speak the person's full name as part of, part of the, the, the ritual. And so we had to get her, get her son to come in. He's a little boy, about seven or eight. I said, get your mother's carnet, which is the, the, the ID code. Uh, card and so she brought he brought that in and we read her name, we did the blessing and within about two or three minutes after that, she like looked up and says, "When did you get here?" Oh, weird. And she was fine. I mean, complete. She suddenly was present and her heart wasn't beating weird. She wasn't moving funny. Uh, and it's like I just sat there. Look, I looked at him, and the weird the weirdest part that happened was that he said, "You're going to do the second part. The first part, you you anoint them with oil." And uh, then the second part, they seal the, the, the anointing, and then you pronounce the blessing. And when you do that, it's extemporaneous. So you don't, you know, a lot of people will try to go into it thinking what they're going to say. Uh, and I, my attitude was, first of all, I, I barely spoke Spanish at the time. I was still learning. And... He, uh, he said, you're going to do the second part. I went, why me? I can barely speak Spanish. And he says, don't, don't worry about it. So I spoke the part that you have to say, that it's a formula. And I said, and then, and then at this point, we give you a blessing. And then next thing I know, I was ending it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And my companion's kind of looking at me. So you can't speak Spanish. And I said, did I say anything? I don't remember saying anything. I had no remembrance of anything that was said. Wow. That's I just weird. blanked out. And he says, you don't remember what you said, all the stuff that you said? I said, no, no clue. And he says, he says, you were touched by the spirit then. Now, how I would interpret that, having knowing you, since mm -hmm. you're... For those I don't, I didn't precursor. Of course, he's Tommy's teacher, but he's also my teacher, so we talk about things. Oh no! Oh yeah, it's out. The secret's oh out. god! <laughs> that um, that you have always kind of had a talent for, for lack of better terms, a type of almost lapse serious, of memory. Serious, oh, lapse of memory. Perfect. That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, doing doing seership type. Mm -hmm. Type things where you where you can't where channeling spirits this and that is something you've always kind of had a talent for. So whether or not that power was coming from the authority of the LDS Church, Church. or just a personal talent of yours is who knows. I don't know. <laughs> so I do know that when when they set me apart as a missionary, you know, so little another little ritual. They lay your hands. You get a whole bunch of guys come in and they lay their hands on your head and uh, consecrate you a missionary. And then the, the stake president gave me a blessing. And the blessing was that I would have all the gifts of the Spirit uh, and that I would be healthy. I would be able to speak, read, write, and understand Spanish, the Spanish language. Um, and within a, about four months, I was fluent. Wow. And I just needed more vocabulary because I didn't I'd have the full, the full, full vocabula vocabulary. I don't even have it in English. I dressed my teeth. Um, uh, but 
you know, that's this is over 30 years ago, and I still speak Spanish pretty fluently. I'm a little slower than I was. So Chileans speak very fast, and they cut off the ends of their words because I probably so they can get more speed in there. Um, but by the end of my time as missionary, people thought I was just from another part of Chile. Fascinating. Wow. That's awesome. Which, that's a big deal because, you know, for them to, to, to think that you're, you know, a gringo is Chilean. And he says, well, you, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Chileans are really light-skinned. And I say, I don't want Chilean, do I? <laughs> but look, you honestly. You pass as Chilean. <laughs> people, people kept saying, what part of Chile are you from? Are you from up north? I said, no. no it's the, I said, so the northern people are really dark-skinned because it's, it's desert. Mm. <laughs> they didn't, I don't know what they thought, but they kept that, I kept getting asked what part of Chile I was from. Very interesting. Wow. Um, so you left the LDS church when, obviously, your sexuality was in no way, shape, or form compatible with yeah, that, the Yeah, it just, the, the I knew church. it was going to work. And so... About two or three months earlier than the time that I left, why I was at a science fiction convention with a friend, and she says, I have somebody I want you to meet. And she introduced me to this guy who spent, oh, two to three hours trying to basically impress me with how spooky he was as a, <laughs> as a witch. Ah. He was a big, spooky, mysterious witch. And at one point, she walked up to see, you know, to find out if I was going to go to such, such something. And I said, no, he's, he's trying to impress me still. Go, give us more time. And he kind of looked at me like, what? So I was 23. And in his eyes, I was just a pretty 23-year-old boy. And, but, you know, I'd already been a church leader for a while. So... All the all the games he was playing were clearly visible, and he wasn't it wasn't impressing me in the least. Uh, but the Sunday that I walked out of church and wasn't going to go back, that Tuesday he called me and said, "I'm starting a new class in witchcraft. Would you be interested?" And that probably brought back all your memories of when you had kind of put your feet into it. I said, "Okay, I got to get those books back out." And so I, I said, yes, sure. And so he said, okay, so uh, your friend Kanita is going to drive you. She'll pick you up and take you to and from the class and stuff like that. I said, okay. So uh, it was on. And I started, I did the first, the first basic course, which was about 12 weeks long. And at the end of that, we, uh, he said, okay, so next week we'll start the next level. Um, and Kanita dropped out. She she wasn't that interested. Your friend that had yeah, my you friend, away. my the friend who who she actually turned out she'd paid the fee for the class, which I didn't know there was. And so now I it's like now I'm responsible for paying my own fee, and I didn't know there was there was a fee to it, and I had to think about that. But I really was enjoying the class. So and this I, was Anderson Ferry. Too, yes, this. the Anderson Ferry tradition, as taught by uh, Karataka Kador, which is the name we went by at the time. Um, it's an SCA name. He, mm. he at one point was King of the West. Oh. Um, and the minute he found out that I had lost my virginity, he was all over me. And that that led to eventually having me leave because I just, 
He was I, a creep. He was, he, was, he was a predator, and I couldn't... There's no way I could stand that any longer. So, um, what were your impressions of... So, but obviously, you know, you stayed with him for a while. you know, until, until you couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And what was it about Fairy that you think locked you in where you were willing to, like, keep showing up? So, when I was in the Mormon church... Mormon Church Sundays Sunday um, services are boring as hell, but they also have, and those are done at the chapel. Now you find chapels all over the place, but there was in Oakland there was a temple, um, and at a certain point before I went off on my mission, they do what they call it. They go you go through the temple for the first time, and there you're washed and anointed and clothed in, in, in priesthood garments, and then you're you're taken in, and there's a big long uh, mystery religion mystery ritual that you go through. And it all sounds quite fascinating. If you ask it, me. It, yeah, totally. It's really pretty cool. It's kind yeah. of it's kind of Masonic in a lot of ways, but uh, <sighs> and the the knowledge that they're teaching you is done is done by way of a movie. Uh, and then they stop the movie, and you do part of the ritual, and then you go back to the movie. And then after a while, they the movie's done, and they just continue with with more ritual and more ritual and more ritual. And then you're taken into the celestial room, which represents being brought into the presence of God. I have never felt a place that was more peaceful and holy feeling than the celestial room at the temple. I mean, the temple itself is really holy feeling. But the celestial, the, the celestial rooms, that's where you, you're in the presence of God. Um, and in their religion, um, so the various grades of, of heaven, mm-hmm. the top end of heaven, if you, if you end up in the top, the top part of, of, that, of heaven, uh, what they call the celestial kingdom, uh, you become, you grow up to become a god like your father. It doesn't degrade his godhood any. In fact, it adds to it. So it's the, the idea that it's, you continue to progress until you become like your father in heaven or your mother in heaven. Which I like, is actually quite I progressive actually compared to some say, other I, I like that a lot more than, than your Bible belt. Yeah, playing a harp on, on a cloud sort of thing. Right, because... Yeah, so yeah. The, other, the other thing about them is they don't believe in hell. Yeah, I like there that. is no hell. There is a place called the Lake of Fire or or Perdition, which is also referred to as outer, outer darkness. Um, but it is so hard to get into that place that almost nobody on this planet achieves it. Basically, like Jesus would have to be right in front of you, and you would still have to reject him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, That's exactly yeah, like, it. There, yeah. there, there are two things: that, and they call it is it blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit is that after you've gone through the temple and received all the sacraments of the, of, of the gospel, <sighs> you then kill somebody in innocent blood. Wow. And they, they say if you were to kill somebody whereby, commit murder whereby you shed innocent blood. So that doesn't include law enforcement, that doesn't include being in the army 
or anything like, or the military but in if wartime. You were, like, kind of Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody after if you, you just the kill temple. innocent people for no reason after having gone through the temple. So if you haven't gone through the temple, it's not the same. You're still justified. You're still yeah. you're, st- you're going to end up in the bottom end of heaven, but you're still in heaven. But you're not in the outer darkness. Right. Exactly. So. It's like my, my father said, oh, you just want me to go to hell. I'm going, you can't get into hell, Dad. <laughs> yeah. You have not worked that hard. <laughs> You've been lazy. <laughs> so what was it, then you were getting to, what was it about fairy that kept you, kept you coming? It's ecstatic. Um, fairy brings you into the presence of gods. In that very similar way that you felt in the temple, you felt it in fairy. Too. It's not. It's not as peaceful, mind yeah. you. We're not. We're not a peaceful people. Uh, so you know, and in the temple, it's 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 all hushed voices, and nobody talks out loud. It's very quiet. But even even in its quietness, it's just like you feel so close to mm. the, the divine. And in fairy, I feel so close to the divine. Mm. Um. You build your temple in your own home, mm. and that's the place that's divine. I like that. And I don't have to worry about and and in being in fairy, I don't have to worry about a hierarchy telling me what to do. And fairy, for those, I mean, there's not many people who are going to be listening to this who know much about fairy outside of what they've heard on the podcast, but. Um, it's a very LGBT positive yes. as far as attrition goes. Everybody like very, is welcome. Yeah, very much so. Everybody is welcome because even our gods are are androgynous, ambisexual, or more than that. Um, they change sex. Um, so even it's like the you have you have two of the, the the main deities that are like most male and most female, and even that. Even with that, they can change their sex. It's very so. It's very the, fluid. The fairy view of sexuality is very, like you said, very fluid, mm-hmm. and it's like not treated as unnatural that that sexuality is a fluid moving thing. Right, right. In fact, it's considered <clears throat> it's considered natural that sexuality is a very fluid moving thing. Yeah, which is what science has been telling us for a long, long time. Yeah. That, yeah. Science be damned, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and look at, look at freaking seahorses, dude. Yeah, <laughs> that proves everything. Exactly. <laughs> seahorses, man. Seahorse, seahorse, sea <laughs> So you left that teacher because he was a creep. <laughs> and there's a very fascinating story about how you came back. Oh very. boy! <laughs> so, I I dropped that teacher uh, like a hot potato one day, and then thought to myself, "Now what am I going to do?" So, I thought I had a, I had a, I had a good friend. Oh, Tommy, we're at the bottom of your bottle. Yeah, we drank. <laughs> we're, we're, at Sorry, the end. we're thinking of you though. Cheers to Tommy. Cheers, to Tommy. <laughs> um. So, when I left the, 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 the fairy tradition, um, I was started hang, hanging out with this, this guy that was really, lived close by. That was, that was one thing. I, I lived in the South Bay Area, and uh, Karatek lived in San Francisco, out by the beach. So, it was a long trip every week. 
to go to his class. So you were going once a week to Yeah, and this. once once Kenny dropped out, and then there was another guy I was riding with along for a while because we lived not too far from each other. Um, and he, so he and I commuted together for quite a while, and then he dropped out. Um, and I was commuting on my motorcycle. And the funniest thing was one night I was coming home, and it was, it, we, we had the habit of, we go and we had the class, and then from the class we would go to a little coffee shop down the street. And while well, I, I, I didn't drink coffee at the time, I, I would always have a cup of hot chocolate. And then, you know, this was sort of to, to unwind and make sure that people were going to get home. And then we'd go, go home. It was, it was an hour to hour and a half, depending on, on how traffic was in the city. So... When all that, when, when all the other people kind of dropped out, uh, we stopped doing the, the cafe and I would just, I just drove home one night and I'm leaving San Francisco. So I see this, the sign that says Black Mountain Road and that's like the, the, the very bottom of the city. And then we're on this highway, this long windy highway up in the hills <clears throat> all the way down to the, the South Bay. And I, I looked over after a few minutes, and I see Foothill College go by. The Foothill College is right before you come out of the hills. And I'm like, what? I got home in 20 minutes. How long did it usually take? An hour, an hour to hour and a half. Whoa. And I was like, wait a minute. And I, went, and I was thinking about it. I was like, I didn't <laughs> see any of the normal the normal road and I the only thing I could figure was that I'd somehow managed to fold space. Or you drove through a wormhole or, or some crazy thing. Well I, I I said fold space because I was a big Dune fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been able to affect it again, unfortunately. I always wanted to be able we were going to to and from LA a lot when uh when I was working the Renaissance Fair down there. And I was always wanted to fold space because that would cut out six hours of the Stupid trip. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, writing back and forth, you asked me a question and I've gotten sidetracked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about how, the story about how you ended up oh, coming right. back to okay. Ferry. So, so, <laughs> so, my, so the next person that I, I worked with in the craft was Gardnerian. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, first of all, we worked this uh, Mithraic tradition that he was part of, that mm -hmm. he was part of, and... Mithras being a um, Roman god of war, um, but also uh, he had the the blessing, the, the the power of prophecy, and he is the so he's the intermediary inter, intermediary between mankind and the the Ahura Mazda, um, the the god of light, and Mithras is a god of light and um, power strength. Um, and uh, prophecy. And an enormous amount of his tradition was influential in the creation of Christianity. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's like very... Yeah. yeah. So, so I got involved in that, and then um, I took a class on... It was just basically Celtic witchcraft was what they were... what the, the lady teaching... Main, main lady teaching the class. Ugh. And at the end, almost every, everybody in the, in the class got, got, went through an initiation... I had requested Gardnerian initiation because that's what I was actually after. And she said no. So Joe said, I'll do it. 
So Joe initiated me, and, and it was just understood that it was going to be, most people weren't going to accept it because man-to-man is not, a, not allowed in the gardening tradition. Yeah, it's a, At a least polarized yeah. tradition where a woman has to initiate a man and a man has to initiate a woman. Exactly. Mm. Um, and and the, the high priestess has to cast the circle. Now, she cast the circle, and he just ran the initiation. Um, there was a big falling out later because, you know, he had told me I was Gardnerian, and I wasn't. And, you know, months later, she calls me up and I said, I hear you, you're telling people you're Gardnerian. And I want you to understand that you're not. I didn't give you lineage. And I said, well, everything happened that was supposed to happen. She says, I did not give you lineage. That makes you not Gardnerian. Then what was the point? <laughs> Basic Celtic initiation-ish. Weird. And it, and it was really it was really dumb because her high priestess, when she found out, was pissed off royally that she was doing this to people. And there was, again, there's another big falling out. Uh, my friend got yelled at a whole lot uh, because they actually gave me a Gardnerian book and he wasn't supposed to have. Oh. <laughs> and then when they had the big, you know, the big, you know, council about it, my Gardnerian book vanished from my room. Hmm. I lived in his house for a while. Oh, well, yeah, it seems like that's pretty so, obvious. So, yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't actually, you know, because they said, bring the book with you. And I went to look, find it, and it was gone. I went, I, yeah, I see what happened. Here. So for people who don't know, in um, traditions of witchcraft that are initiatory, oftentimes you will receive what's called like a book of shadows. A traditional book of shadows, which is, it's their book. Uh, and of rituals, spells, right, secrets that are kept for, and teachings, and you know, sort of for thing. initiates, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I would while we were doing this, Tim? yeah. So, <laughs> but again, huh? What? I, mean, I said, I, I want one. <laughs> it's a bit of training. <laughs> so, while this was going, all this was going on. Uh, I and several members of that original class put together a circle to to do working together, and it was just it was just a working working circle. We called ourselves Coven of the Crumpled Kleenex. <laughs> um, and what the the joke about that was that um, so in Japanese uh, paintings, if you see crumpled Kleenex in the painting, it means that they had sex. Oh, okay. I'm and so we used to refer to our our, our meetings as circle jerks, <laughs> <laughs> which they weren't obviously. No, not really, but yeah, because not it was, literally. It, maybe. And it was it was me. It was just me once. and <laughs> maybe just <once> <laughs> there, was, there was there was one woman who was trans, uh-huh. and then two other women. So it was me and and three other women, and then we had this other guy join us, and he got all upset because things got too too real for him, so mm-hmm. he broke the circle apart. But so while we're working along, um, I had this dream one night in which I don't know what the dream was about before this happened, but suddenly this young man walks up to me and he has blue skin and he has behind him a huge fan of peacock feathers, peacock eye feathers, and a rainbow above that. And coiled around his feet, and I couldn't figure out how he's walking with this this big, huge black snake around his feet. And, you know, on his arms and and forearms, uh, he had, he was wearing uh, small snakes. Um, 
black curly hair. He had small golden horns. And he looked at me and he says, oh, before I tell you what he says, I need to tell you he was also naked and erect. Or, oh. <laughs> as I like to say it, rampant. Yeah. <laughs> and he walked up to me and he says, build me an altar. And I went, <laughs> sure, what, what do you want on it? <laughs> Gorgeous, naked, blue man, blue guy walks up to me and, and says, build me an altar. Okay, what do you want on it? And he said, I said, uh, he said, peacock feathers. And a, a brass peacock and a painted fan to start with. I went, okay, who are you? And he leaned in and he says, I am Malik Taus. And I woke up from the first wet dream I'd had in years, which was really intense to me. I waited a few hours and I called the, 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 one of the women that I worked with in the craft, and I said, who is Moloch Taos? And she says, oh God, no, why? Why are you asking? And I told her about the dream, she says, shit, I thought we got away. I said, who is he? Because in all my training in the fairy tradition, this name was never said. So this was completely out of inspiration, the blue, as it that, were. That appeared. <laughs> um, out of the blue, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's the fairy tradition god of initiation. He's also one of the main deities that is, work, that is, that is worshipped in, uh, amongst the Yazidi people of northern Iraq. Who, are, who have been fiercely persecuted for that, because of that reason. Yeah. For a very, very long the, time. The, the people who are of Islam believe the Yazidi people to be devil worshippers and... So they have been trying for year for for centuries to get to kill them all. To yeah, basically eradicate um, them. And they are currently under edict of uh, genocide by by the the Islamic State, uh, call, who call themselves ISIS. Um, but anyway, so. After a few minutes of talking with, with, with her, she says, well, what are you going to do? And I said, looks to me like I'm going to build an altar. <laughs> so I built an altar. And the next time, about, well, about a month or two later, my circle got together again. And we were in the middle of an invocation to Kernunos. And I went into it holding a wand and a, and a blade in my hands. And when I came out of the trance, I was holding a fan and peacock feathers. And they said that I had set those things, the, the wand and blade down, and picked up feathers and the fan. And then um, walked over to this one, this, this one guy in the, in the circle. He was the only other member of the circle. He was a fairy, actually a fairy initiate. Um, walked up to him and kissed him on the neck and the cheek several times. And when, when we turned the light on, he had burn prints on his neck and cheek in the shape of lips. Whoa. That's intense. And of course, the next day he had to go to work and try and explain burns on, his face, on, his, on the side of his cheek and his neck to his boss. 
in the shape that were in the shape of lips. I went, damn, I want to be able to do that. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. So, unfortunately, we lost uh, the last 30 minutes of that interview uh, due to the microphone malfunction. But uh, to fill up the last 30 minutes that we lost, we're going to play uh, All Star by Smash Mouth for 30 minutes. So, here you go. Somebody won't. Wait, wait. Uh, no. We changed our mind. No, let's not do that. No, you guys have a good evening. <laughs>